and you may be seated. And let me let me say I should have said this um, before we dismissed everybody, but um, my wife and I are just continually astounded at the kindness uh, during this month. It's been I, I don't know when it's been any better. I don't know where it's coming from and and whatever, but. Uh, thank you so very much. We we feel deeply appreciated, and hopefully nobody is um, pressuring you to do what you're doing. I trust that it's not, um, and uh, I realize that there are people that are no doubt organizing these type efforts and whatever, but hopefully nobody ever feels pressured to be a blessing to us. Um, but thank you so much for all of your cards and your words and your kind gestures and uh, this, this past week uh, and forgive me for singling uh, these out because well uh, last week uh, there were two enormous uh, baskets I don't even know what what all was in those baskets I know what was in my basket and Colton's basket but I didn't get to get near the other basket and uh, but but there was I mean it looked like it looked like a salon exploded in that in that basket, and um, and so thank you for that. But this past week, the youth um, have been such a blessing to us, and we got cards from all of the young people, and <clears throat> we thank them so very much for their kind and very sweet words and. My wife and I were comparing cards and reading out loud to one another, and it just and it means so much. And then I walked into my young leaders class Monday night, and I totally did not expect that. But um, Serenity Wilson presented a card to me on behalf of the class. Everybody um, had signed that and written some very kind things in that, and blessed me. Um, with a gift card to, they said it was a gift card to the, my sanctuary. Um, and uh, so a $100 gift card from my class uh, to my sanctuary. And <clears throat> I appreciate that. And, and it has nothing to do with games going on and nothing like that. It has, it just, I'm a creature of habit and I love chicken wings and, uh, and ranch and fries with salt and pepper seasoning. And so I, it's every 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 Sunday for the last I don't know seven years eight years I, I don't know it's yeah about eight years every every Sunday and um, they used to know us in there we'd walk in they'd have our order you know just they'd see us come in and we wouldn't even have to order they just you know ten minutes later they'd bring the food and all that but they have such turnover in there now and that's the ones they can get to work they they usually only have about two servers working. Um, but it, it just, uh, you've been so kind to us, and I, I thank you so, so very much. I want to read a verse out of Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14. If you don't mind, I'm just going to be super low-keyed tonight, if that's okay. Is that all right? Is that okay? Is that all right? Okay, each time I get just a little bit more. I only had two more that last time, but... Um, I just, I, I want to talk to you tonight. Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and verse 14, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. That's a little, uh, a little vague, 
So I want to read it out of the Living Bible. For, for if we are faithful to the end, trust in God just as we did when we first became Christians, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. If we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as we did when we first became Christians, we will share in all that that belongs to Christ. And so this, this journey that we are on can be exhausting. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed that before, but it can be exhausting. Anybody give a witness to that? It can just be very, very tiresome. You've probably never been through uh, things like this, but my faith is tested, uh, it seems, almost daily of late and for a very long time. My faith is tested. Now, if, if you don't really care to have much and um, you're not really that hunger for God, um, you probably don't have it as bad. That sounded horrible. I shouldn't even have said that. But you know what I'm talking about. But it, it just seems like if you're really pushing, uh, the harder you're pushing toward the things of God, the, the more difficult that it is, the more challenging that it is, the more setbacks you seem to have, the more disappointments that you seem to have. Now, that's not casting a, a negative shadow on the Lord. That's just a part of this life. And I think as you're pushing forward, there are things that have to be cut away and things have to die and you have to acquiesce and you have to resubmit and resubmit and resubmit and double down and dig down and get a hold of something that you hadn't had a hold of before and continue pushing, continue pushing. And so I want to talk a little bit in those, along those lines tonight. In the scripture, um, you will notice that the first Three chapters of the book of Genesis are very similar to the last three chapters of the book of Revelation. What happened in the first three chapters of Genesis, the exact opposite happens in the last three chapters of Revelation. In the book of Genesis, in the first three chapters, the curse begins, and then we read in the last three chapters of Revelation that, that there shall be no more curse. In the first three chapters of Genesis, death comes into the world by sin. And in the last three chapters of the book of Revelation, the Bible says there shall be no more death. Now, this is for the saved ones, of course. In Genesis, we find the tree of life spoken of, and then, and then it just kind of disappears off the scene. We don't hear anything else about it. But then it reappears in the book of Revelation in the final three chapters, and it is given back to man, the leaves of which are for the healing of the nations. In the first three chapters of the book, of Rebel, or the book of Genesis, we find uh, creation spoken of. And in the last three chapters of the book of Revelation, we find that he has recreated now a new heaven and a new earth. 
in the first three chapters of Genesis, we find that uh, God himself becomes the light or, or, or that there is light uh, that comes into being. He says, let there be light. And then in the final three chapters of the book of Revelation, God himself becomes the light. And the lamb actually is the light of that city. Amen. In, in the book of the first uh, three chapters of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Genesis, uh, we find that everything is chaotic. And then in the last three chapters of the book of Revelation, peace has come and order has been restored and everlasting life has been granted to those that were saved and those that endured to the end. Those that stayed steadfast in the end the same way that they did when they first became the children of God. Now, the Bible, the Bible is written in a span of ages. And it's not written by one writer. It is written by one author. But there are many writers. And there are 66 books. And it spans well over a millennium of time. Now, we kind of take that for granted. We pick the Word of God up and we're reading it. And it's just kind of, oh, this is just something that happened here. But to think about the miracle of the word of God, for anybody to think that they can discredit the word of God, they're, they're just not studying the same word that I'm studying. I mean, I mean, we're talking about people from thousands of years ago that are writing under the inspiration of the Spirit the same words as people that are, you know, thousands or a thousand years after them or hundreds of years after them. All of these writers coming together and at first glance there are times that the word of God would seem to contradict itself but careful study digging into it tells us that there are no contradictions in the word of God. And to think about this masterpiece of how the Lord started with creation and the world that we're in today the technology that we have today compared to the, the ancients going all the way back to the Garden of Eden and how primitive that man was and how man has evolved through all of these uh, millennials and these ages and these eons of time. And the Lord has so carefully woven the tapestry of his word together so specifically and so precisely that everything fits hand and glove. Now, just follow me for a moment. I don't know if you've noticed, but mankind is, is pretty fickle. I mean, they're pretty, people can't make their mind up. And they make their mind up one day, and then flesh gets the best of them, and they become a totally different person down the road. Sometimes that's good, and sometimes, you know, that's, that's bad. They're one person here, and then they're a different person down the road. That could be from sinner to saint, but it could also be from saint to sinner. Mankind is fickle. And to think that God can get mankind to function and operate according to his divine plan to make sure that everything falls in perfect sequence, not only with the specific details, 
the typology of the New Testament that became the spiritual fruit and fruition of, uh, did I say the Old Testament, and the spiritual fruit and fruition of the New Testament. Not only getting them to cooperate with the activities, but the timing of it, the exact timing of it. The Lord works by words and he works by numbers. That's the way the Hebrew alphabet is. Every letter is assigned a numerical value. The reason for that is, is because God works with words and numbers. So it, it wasn't just basic instructions that man was, uh, that God was getting man to cooperate with, but it was the timing of all of this to make sure it would happen in the seventh year and on the seventh day and that this would happen in the sixth month or the third month on the 15th day of the month and the first month and, and that they would practice and do all of these things and all of this up to Calvary and everything that surrounded Calvary, the Lord knew beforehand who was going to be involved in that process we don't find examples of Jesus calling someone to be his disciple and them rejected it. Have you ever thought about that? All 12 of them responded quickly and precisely to the call of God. There was none of them that said, you know what, I mean, I'm going to pass on this one. Maybe, maybe call somebody else. I don't know who you are. You're kind of a strange guy. I've heard some things about you. I, I, you know, I don't, we've never met, and I, I don't really respond to strangers and talk to strangers like that. No. It was the divine plan of God to get all of these men surrounding Jesus and in the midst of them to make sure there was going to be a betrayer. To think about the intricacy of all of that kind of stuff and it culminating one day when the trumpet's going to sound, there's going to be a white throne judgment. There will be a battle of Armageddon. The blood will flow up to the horse's bridle of the enemies of God, the saints of God will be called up to meet him in the air. There'll be a new established kingdom for a thousand years and a thousand years of peace. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The child will play upon the, the nest of the adder. These, these things are going to take place because of God's divine plan. Now, if you're one of these people in history that God so chose to be a part of this grand master plan, you have to think that they only saw what they were participating in within a small window of time. Now, some of them lived 900 and something years, but compared to the entire human race, uh, can, can you imagine living one-sixth of the entire human race? Does that sound right? Am I doing my math there right? There was people that lived one-sixth of the entire human race. But even for them, they saw what was going on in their world at their time in their life with a small window of time. And they had no way of truly conceiving what God was really doing with the entire human race. But the, the process would continue. And the Lord was going to find a man. He was going to find a woman. This was going to happen. This king was going to be anointed these battles were going to be waged. These things were going to be fought. Land was going to be attained. And, and the temple was going to be built. Christ was going to come. Prophets were going to rise. Apostles were going to be chosen by Jesus Christ. And then 
Saul who became Paul himself, and then this entire word was going to be given to future generations. I'm just trying to, in a nutshell, build this understanding of the fact that nothing that goes on in the kingdom of God is an accident. There's nothing that goes on. And yet between Genesis in the first three chapters and the final three chapters of Revelation, there is all of this uncertainty. There's all of this up and down. It's triumph and it's upheaval. It's, it's defeat and it's disaster. It's catastrophe and it's great victory. And, and, you know, exaltation, it's visions, it's dreams that are given. And God's revealing and God's revealing. But still, the human race is looking through a glass darkly. But through all of this, you have to know that these men and women of the Scripture, don't you think that their curiosity was as much as ours is? Don't you understand that they were human just like us? And that there were ups and downs in their lives. We read about the life of David. We read about the ups and downs of Abraham. We read about the time that Sarah laughed when the promise of God was given. We read about the possible annihilation of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish race with, with the king of Persia until Mordecai and Esther intervened there and Haman was hanged upon the gallows and, and all of this takes place. We see the great ups and downs, but through all of this, there was a master plan. But if you look in the scripture, these people tended throughout their lives to find themselves in the middle of nowhere. They weren't here and they weren't there. But they were trusting God and they were people of faith. If you read in the scripture, you can just pick a verse. Are you with me tonight? You can just pick a verse. You can pick a chapter. You can pick any book in the Bible and you can begin to read. And there's going to be questions immediately when you begin to read. Because until you know the, the exact end of everything, it just always kind of feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. You're, you're reading a verse, you're reading a word, you're reading a chapter, and instantly you're, at, you're asking yourself, now what, what's the context here? And who's, who's involved here? And, and I think this person was connected with this person. And what does this mean in the Hebrew? And now that I know what it means in the Hebrew or what it means in the Greek, then how do I process that? And how, I, how do I put these pieces together? And we find ourselves at times wandering through scriptures like we're wandering through our own lives. Daily, I, it, you probably don't experience this, but every day I wake up feeling like I'm in the middle of nowhere. There is a part of me that is saying, God, I want to know the end of this thing. I, I want to have more understanding. I I need more revelation. I, I need more answers. God, I've got more blanks in the sentences than I have actually words in the sentence here. I don't understand why this punctuation is here instead of this piece of punctuation here. I don't know why you continued that thought. I don't know why you didn't just truncate that. I don't know why you let that person live. But you, but you killed this person over here. I, I don't understand that. Now, if your walk with God doesn't feel like that, then, then I'm probably just a mess up here. But even in life, 
even in life, getting laid off a job and bills piling up, or maybe it's surplus, maybe it's times of plenty, but, but there's other things going on. There's emotional issues, or there's loss, or there's sickness, and and we're trying to figure this out. How, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this decision? We, we need to negotiate this. We, we've got to figure this out. And the brain and the human anatomy is just constantly moving. We are these creatures that feel like we are wandering aimlessly to a world that really has more questions than it does answer. Does anybody identify what I'm talking about here tonight? We, we've got so many questions through all of this. And, and we spend our lives really feeling like we're in the middle of nowhere. Now, this probably has never happened to you because I'm, and my wife would probably amen a thousand times on this, but I'm, I'm really bad about stopping for gas when I'm driving. And uh, I'm, I'm one of these people that um, will watch that little readout on the dash there that tells me you've got 17 miles left. And the needle is now, is now slightly below the red. And, you know, occasionally I've got people riding with me and they're like, um, you know, you're, I don't know if you notice you're on E there. Oh, no, I got 17 miles. And then it's six miles and then it's three miles and it's two miles and then it's a dash. And I'm like, ah, I got, a grace, I got a grace period here. I can make it from the church to my home that's about nine miles away. I can do that on a hash. I'm one of those guys. And occasionally I have traveled roads at night, late at night, midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, just, just driving along, enjoying the road and just the headlights in front of me and just me and Jesus and I'm just driving along and I'm, and I'm looking down. I'm like, yeah, I got 32 miles to empty. I'll, I, I got 32 miles to stop here. I, I'll just wait till it gets a little closer. And occasionally, I have pushed it too far. And now I have not done this in decades, but, but a couple of times that happened as a teenager and I learned what it was like to be Fred Flintstone driving a car. Uh, because the only thing that was getting me down the road was the feet underneath my body. That hasn't happened in decades because, you know, we, we think we have mastered the fuel tank thing. How, how many can identify with what I'm talking about? How many of you are like that? How many of you all have done that? Shame on you. You should never do that. But you, you, get, you get down the road and then, and then you realize, oh, the exits are not coming as quick as I thought they were coming. And, uh, you know, I pulled off this exit, and that gas station is just black. There's not a light on anywhere. Well, surely they've got the pumps on. No, the pumps are not on. And now I'm at the hash mark. Oh, well, I'll just, you know, I know they're not going to leave me on the interstate here with no gas station. So I'll get on, and I'll go a little further. And I get about 10 miles down the road, and it's darker, and there's less cars, and the exits are getting further apart. And then it becomes, uh, hey, Lord, um, I don't know if you see me down here, but please don't let me get stranded on the side of the road. Can you imagine what he thinks of that? He's like, come on, bro. You know, I mean, you, you, you have had 27 chances to pull the car over 
and get gas, and now you want me to do a miracle in your life when I tapped you on the shoulder 47 miles back and told you to pull over four times and you didn't hear my voice. I don't know why you're clapping, but... Yeah. But there's times you find yourself in the middle of nowhere with no fuel in the tank. And you look down... And your cell phone has got 3% battery and you realize there's no charger in the car. How many of you have been there before? Shame on you. I've been there before. But some of us have been to that place in life as well. We, we've had chances to refuel the tank. We, we've had chances to do what was right, but we skipped, we skipped those chances thinking that things were going to be okay, but occasionally we find ourselves in the middle of nowhere. Now, I, I do not believe that the God of love and the God of grace and mercy that we serve is just sitting on his throne, sitting there. I do not believe that he would talk to me that way and say, I gave you 41 chances or 41 miles and 37 chances. I do believe that the Lord understands our frame that we are but dust. And I do believe that he understands that there are times that we're going to feel like it is black dark outside and that there is nowhere to pull over and refuel and that there is a season that we are going through in our lives where things do not make sense and it just feels like we're in the middle of nothing. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nowhere to refuel, and things don't seem to be getting better. Looking at the first three chapters of the book of Genesis and the last three chapters of the book of Revelation is one thing. And understanding that, that for the saved, that everything's going to work out all right. We, we, know, we know that it's going to work out for the saved people. What we don't realize is how tough it's going to be to stay saved sometimes. We know that there is a promise for the people of God, and we know what it takes to do that. But sometimes it gets dark outside, and sometimes the exits are not as close as we thought that they were going to be, and we find ourselves between here and there with nothing to hold on to. I actually looked up the term in the middle of nowhere, and I was shocked to find out that it actually has a dictionary definition in the Ox Oxford Dictionary, dictionary and is defined as a, as a place that is remote or isolated. Now, we know that, but that's an actual definition. Anybody ever felt like you were isolated before? Anybody, I'm probably not talking to anybody tonight, but anybody ever felt like just things may not work out like we thought that they were going to work out? Like we may not survive this. Anybody ever been there before? You can wave your hand if you've been there before. Like we might wind up on the side of the road and who knows who's going to come down the interstate next because this is where bad things happen. There are times we find out we feel that we have been left on the shoulder of life and things are just not the way that we thought that they were going to be. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. I don't think he's talking to sinners there. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with, everybody say patience, patience. That's what it takes. Patience, the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our what? Our faith. The thing that you need when reason and practicality and resources have all gone out the window. Faith, the thing that's left when there is no other answer to the situation. When it doesn't look like God is going to intervene. When it doesn't look like he's going to help or come through. Faith, he said he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, I read to you the text tonight. If we... If we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as we did when we first became Christians, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. In order to be faithful, that means that your faith has to be tested. It has to be uh, proven. It has to be galvanized. There has to be some things that come against us in order for us to prove that we can be faithful when everything's not going okay. When there's abuse and when there's neglect and when we feel isolated and when it feels like there is no answer in sight. And he compared that to the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That tells me that it's okay to hate the situation that we're in but still be faithful in the fight and in the darkness and realizing that when you're in the middle of nowhere, when you're not at the beginning and you're not at the end somewhere, we don't have any indication of where we're going next, how we're going to get there, or how long it's going to take to get there. There is nothing to indicate to us that this thing is going to be over anytime soon. And so the only answer to all of this is that we stay faithful unto him who understood what it was like to be faithful when he endured the cross because he could look beyond the cross and see the joy that was set before him. And so I want to tell somebody here tonight that may feel like you're in the doldrums and like you're in a place of isolation. And that may feel like you're disconnected, that there's no fuel left in the tank. And like you're in a place where it's too far to go backwards and you're not sure if you have the strength to go forward. Faithfulness is the answer. And Jesus is the author and finisher of the faith that is in your life. This faith, this faith that you have is not something that you conjured up. It's not psyching yourself out. It's not what you get from reading self-help books or listening to a podcast or watching a YouTube video or listening to an inspirational speaker or preacher. It's not that kind of stuff. It's not psychosis. It's, it's, not, it's not just 
getting your emotions up somehow. No, no. This is something that has been imparted to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he didn't just put that in you to leave you and forsake you in the middle of it all. As a matter of fact, he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, but I will go with you even until the ends of the world. That faith, he said, I will not only author your faith, but I will finish your faith. I did find out that there, actually, there is actually a place that is classified. It has already been officially, I don't know how it took place, I don't know what the process was, but there is a place in America that is officially named the middle of nowhere. And it's just outside of Glasgow, Montana. In case you ever want to go there, I thought I'd share that nugget with you. It's a real thing. But there are places in our life that I guess like being in Glasgow reminds me of the children of Israel in the wilderness. The Lord never never said, hey, nine months from now, you're crossing over. He never told them, hey, three more years and it'll be all right. He never told them, hey, you're going to have to hold tight for another 39 years. The Lord never told them that. The Lord just said, follow the cloud. Now, don't raise your hand. You can raise your hand if you want to. But let's be honest here. Does anybody in your flesh ever get just tired of following the cloud with, with no answers? Ooh, reluctantly, y'all raise your hand. Like, where are we going? Doesn't matter. We're going where the cloud's going. How long is it going to take? Doesn't matter. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Are we going to get to see it in our generation? Have no idea. We're just following the cloud. Well, what if, what if it never comes to pass? It will come to pass if we follow the cloud. Now, I don't know, I don't know if everybody's going to be alive when it comes to pass. I might not even be alive when it comes to pass because the vision always ought to be bigger than our lifetime. Now, I'm not, don't, I'm not talking about any one thing. I'm just talking about the places that God leads us as individuals. It is bigger than our generation, and it is bigger than the moment that we're in. And sometimes we just have to find ourselves in a place that is vacuous and empty, and we feel isolated and alone, and it doesn't feel like we're going forward, and we're going, uh, it doesn't feel like we're going backward. It just feels like we're in the middle of nowhere. But as long as I'm following that cloud, as long as he is with me in my nowhere, as long as I know that he will never leave me nor forsake me, Can I say to somebody here tonight, you may be disappointed with not having what you want, when you wanted it, and how you wanted it, but you will never be disappointed in the presence of God because in his his presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Why don't you clap your hands and give him praise unto the Lord. I want to know, is anybody willing to climb the jagged rocks of Sinai to do the will of God? Is anybody willing to go through the barren, hot desert sands of of the Sinai desert so that somebody somewhere can get to the promised land of Canaan so that the plan of God, so that you can be a part of God's story? These men in here didn't have, they, they didn't have the answer of 2020 vision looking back. They didn't have hindsight. They, they weren't able to have hindsight in the wilderness. 
they, they weren't able to say, hey, if we could have just held on for another three years, we would have made They didn't have the benefit of that. All they had was faith and believing the word of God. Jacob, wandering through a wilderness, has a vision of Jacob's ladder. Elijah, running from Jezebel, sitting by a brook, fed by ravens under a tree, wishing that he might die in the middle of nowhere. Moses on the backside of the desert with a 40-year memory of a murder that he could not seem to get off of his conscience and nobody came to look for him. We don't have a record that any of his buddies in, in Israel or the palace that he grew up in or Egyptians that he worked alongside the students that he went to the Egyptian schools with, the, the people that he was raised up. We don't find evidence of anybody looking for Moses once he left that place. And for 40 years, even though he found his wife there, even though he established a homestead there, even though there was a family that God gave to him in that, in that Ethiopian village there, even though all of that, he kind of made a life for himself. But how many of you understand that when you're running from your past, even in your present, you feel like you're kind of in the middle of nothing. And you can't shake the guiltiness and the things that won't get off of you and won't let, a, let you alone and the shame that is following you. But that being in the middle of nowhere did not stop God from speaking to him in a burning bush and sending him back to somewhere to deliver the people of God. I want to tell you that God is in your nowhere and he is taking you somewhere. Oh, somebody ought to praise him tonight. A friend of mine many years ago preached a message called The Gift of Loneliness. I, I don't remember anything about the message but the title. And I remember what it meant to me in that moment. And there are times when I find myself in limbo in the doldrums trying to figure out where I am, who I am, and what's happening next. I remember the title to that message that loneliness is a gift and not a curse. Because the Bible speaks of Jacob in Genesis 32 and 24. And it talks about him wrestling with an angel until the breaking of day. But we just kind of skip over the first few words of that verse. And it doesn't seem like a big deal when you think about it. Of course he was. But that verse begins by saying, and Jacob was left alone. Can I tell you that there are times in your life that God will put you in a place where you are left alone? Nobody's there to encourage you. Am I talking to anybody here tonight? Nobody's there to, to pep you up, to brag on you, to make you feel better. Nobody's there to tell you it's going to be all right. Nobody has any answers for you. Nobody's there saying, hey, and I'm praying for you. No, 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 no. I, hey, I'm fasting and, and I'm praying for you every, every day. No, nobody's there. You just, you're just in some barren place somewhere and you have been left alone. And can I just extract something from this story here and tell you, you may be about to get a visitation from an angelic host. 
There may, you know, thank you, all 19 of you clapping here tonight. That's all right. That's all right. But I'm going to tell you, your greatest encounters with God is not going to be while you're in the middle of the crowd. It's not, not going to be at the party. It's not going to be at a birthday celebration. It may not even be on a Sunday night service. It may be in a time where you feel like nothing's going right in your life, that nothing, nothing's happening, that every decision you make is the wrong decision and the ground is crumbling beneath your feet and all of your friends have forsaken you because they're tired of hearing you're complaining, you're moaning and groaning, and you have been left alone. But can I tell you, there may be an angel on the way that's ready to wrestle with you until the breaking of day. There may be something that you're about to come out with that's going to change the way that you walk, change the way that you talk and communicate, and change your entire perspective of God. Can I tell you that loneliness is a gift? It's not a curse. And I never really made the correlation here, but this afternoon... This afternoon, I just, I just was looking at the story, and I, and I thought about when Jesus was left alone. Now, he had his disciples, but he came to the garden, and he told his disciples, now, stay, stay here, and the Bible said he went a little further. And he went in, and I'm not going to go into the one hour, and he came back, and they were asleep two hours, and they were asleep in the third, third hour, and he, he said, sleep on. But the fact of the matter is, that everybody he needed for his support system that he had been with for three and a half years was asleep while he was alone. And he had been trying to explain to them. I want you to, I want you to understand that Jesus has been through what we have been through on a much larger scale, but he had been trying to explain to them three and a half years. I've got to go away, but when I do, the Father's going to send the comforter. Where are you going? I go to prepare a place for you that where I may be, where I am there, you may be also. And you know the way. Well, we don't know the way. Tell us the way. He said, I'm the way. What? You're the way. Well, why are you leaving? If you're the way, why are you going? He'd been trying to explain what was going to happen to them and what was going to happen to him for three and a half years. And here he is. The night that it's all going to begin to fall in sequence. And he's alone. And he's wrestling in the garden until his sweat becomes, as it were, great drops of blood. And he was asking his father if it be possible. How many of you have ever prayed that? Lord, isn't there another way? God, can't you bring me out of this? Lord, why aren't you doing anything? How come you're not intervening, God? Why don't you stop them? Why don't you correct the path? Why don't you fix something? God, I'm believing for a miracle. And the only thing that's happening is that you are in agony. The Bible said that he was in agony. He was in agony. We've been in agony. And he was wrestling there. In the garden, much like Jack, Jacob was wrestling with an angel until the breaking of day. And I close with this tonight. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. You've heard us quote it many times. I usually quote it wrong. I will make a point to fix that in the future. But such a powerful verse of scripture. He said, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. 
thoughts of peace and not of evil. But this is the part I want you to notice. To give you an expected end. Your life, the first three chapters of your Genesis has already played out. But the last three chapters of your revelation have not happened yet. There's an unfolding revelation in your life. But the revelation of God in your life is not complete. The revelation of your purpose and your ministry is not complete. The revelation of your future and your destiny is not complete. The conclusion has been written in heaven. But you're unaware of it. Because you're between Genesis and Revelation feeling like you're in the middle of nowhere. Trust and faith are the factors that will sustain you throughout the entirety of your life. And I want to tell somebody in this place, do not give up. The Holy Ghost has been talking to a lot of people in this place tonight. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. This afternoon, as this word was germinating in my spirit, I began to see the faces of people in this church, people that I've talked to. I've heard your stories. I've heard your testimonies. I've heard your petitions. And so has he. And the Lord is saying, if you'll keep the faith through the middle of nowhere, I'm going to take you somewhere. But if you give up, if you throw in the towel, if you get frustrated and quit, you'll never make it to somewhere. Tonight, the Lord wants to minister to somebody's heart in this place. The Spirit of the Lord is in this place, and He is reaching down into somebody's life. And He's trying to tell you, it'll be okay if you'll keep the faith. I wrote 66 books, and I gave them to humanity. I raised up prophets, and I gave revelation. I set up kings, and I took them down. I pull the puppet strings of nations. And if I can do all of that, I can certainly make sure that every detail of your life falls in order in the time when it's supposed to fall in order according to my master plan. Jesus has a master plan for your life. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're a mistake, that you failed God, that God's mad at you, that he's forsaken you, that he's let you down that you're not going to make it all the way there. You are going to make it. I want you to pray with me right now, would you? Would you lift your voice and lift your hands if you feel like it? And I, and I want you to just tell the Lord, God, I trust you in my nowhere. I, I have faith, Lord, tonight in my nowhere. I'm trusting you, Lord, through every battle, through every dark mile. There's been some times, God, that I let the fuel tank get down on E. And I didn't realize that there were no more stations to refuel for a long time. I've let myself get to a place, God, where my battery was almost dead. Where my spirit was depleted. Oh, God, I remember you looking at the Apostle Peter and saying, Satan would desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. 
Lord, I understand there's an enemy out there, Lord, that would desire to sift me, to rob me of my sanity, to rob me of my peace, to, to clothe me in depression and oppression. In the name of the Lord, oh God, but I trust you right now. I trust you, Lord. I have faith in you. I have faith in you. Come on, I'm, I'm preaching to somebody right now. I'm not going to let it go until the Holy Ghost finds who it is. He knows who he's talking to here tonight. And the Lord's telling you, I'm taking you somewhere. I just need you to follow the cloud. I need you to stop trying to predict what's going to happen next. I need you to stop getting frustrated when it doesn't happen. In the name of the Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you would move us by faith. Come on, greater faith. I need somebody to call out to him. Lord, I trust you right now in every darkness, in every valley, in the wilderness, Lord, in the dry places. I trust you, oh, Lord God, when the jackals are out at night. Oh, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, the slithering snakes of demonic spirits, Lord, when they attack. I trust you, Lord, in the attack. I trust you on the backside of the desert. I trust you, Lord, when my head is upon a rock in the middle of nowhere, Lord. When nobody's around, when I'm left alone, God, I believe that I'm about to have a wrestling match with heaven, Lord, and I'm going to walk out different than I came. I believe that I'm going to have a dream like Jacob did and see a ladder that reaches heaven and see the angels of the Lord ascending and, des descending, and ascending. In the name of the Lord God, I pray that you move, Lord, on the lives of people in this place. Come on, I know some of you didn't expect to be ministered to tonight. You just wanted a little Bible study. But the Holy Spirit is here right now to minister to every person. If you're depleted, the Lord's still here with you. If you're discouraged, the Lord is still here. If you're feeling empty on the inside, if you've been left alone, the Spirit of the Lord is here to encourage you and to lift you up. In the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, why don't you stand and praise him tonight with your hands lifted? Why don't you stand with your hands lifted and praise him right now? Oh, yes. Come on, lift your voice and praise him. Lift your voice and praise him. Andala mosike, andala mahara, bakandala mosia. Andala mohore, beke, andala mosia. Oh Lord, I worship you. I worship you. I praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, Lord, I praise you. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Come on, just a minute or two longer. I want somebody to receive this right now. Oh, God, in spite of the chaos in their home, in spite of the negativity that surrounds them, in spite of the questions that they have, God. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, oh, God, I pray. Move upon every home. Hayatala Mosike Amahakata Mosike Amahaya. Kiara 
Ramakata Mosea callando la Mosea. Oh Lord, I praise you. I praise you, I praise you, I praise you. Callata la Mosique, apayando la Mosique, Amahaya. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't you reach over and pray with that person next to you? Put a hand on the shoulder. In the name of Jesus, oh God, we trust in your strength. We trust in your anointing. Lord God, you're worthy of praise. You're worthy, Lord God, of praise. We exalt you, Lord, in this sanctuary tonight. We exalt you in this sanctuary. Oh God, ala la bosea. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I praise your name. I praise your name. I praise your name, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise? <laughs> Hallelujah. Be seated if you would. Give me about uh, five to seven minutes. It's about eight minutes till nine for the clock watchers. Um, small groups our staff 